the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. 10 o'clock. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning, the eighth morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Well, my goodness gracious, are we going to work Peter Kirsten out of death here? Uh, I've got so many different topics and issues to ask him about. Uh, we'll do our very best to get them all done. Uh, but Peter Kirsten now joins us now. He is, of course, a Cleveland attorney. He's a member of the United States Commission on Civil, Civil Rights. He's a best-selling author. He is a highly sought-after public speaker. And he is uh, also the host of the Kirsten Out Report. You hear each and every week here on AM 1420. The answer. Peter, good morning. Bob, how are you doing? It's, I'm good, uh, my I friend. must say, after last night, it's almost uh, imperative that I remind everybody it's only 132 days until the spring training begins, 171 days before the Indians' first game. I'm not sure what the Browns are up to. I'm still trying to figure it out. I confess I did not watch the entire game. After it became 28-3, I decided I had better things to do. But I did conclude that the Browns would be much better off having uh, number 89 from Lyra Catholic High School playing instead of Anthony Callaway. Uh, he's number five, by the way, but I appreciate they have 89. He's number five now? Well, it was his fresh. He's been five for two years. So that was his okay, freshman number. Okay. Yeah, All his right. freshman number is eighty nine. He's been five as a sophomore, now as a junior. But yeah, uh, I, I, after seeing Callaway drop the ball in the end zone, should have been a touchdown to make the game fourteen to ten. Even Odell dropping balls on the sideline, uh, a little high, but both hands on it. You got to pull those in, man. You're, you know, D- yeah. Baker. Baker certainly didn't wake up feeling dangerous. I'm not going to defend him here. He looked like he woke up feeling constipated. I think more than anything because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, but but he, he he was not dangerous yesterday, but he didn't get a lot of help either. I want to point all of that out. I think the entire organization was not ready for that game in uh, San Francisco yesterday. So, However, having been facetious, I do commend to your audience taking a look at the video for number five uh, of Elyria Catholic. You will see somebody who's truly extraordinary. 
Uh, well, that's that's very nice of you to say. I don't know if I would go that far. I think uh, that's uh, that's a little bit over overly uh, uh, celebratory, I suppose. But he's he's playing hard. He's playing hard, and he's doing some good things. And I'll I'll just leave it at that for now. Uh, but I do appreciate that, and I know if he was listening, he would appreciate that. And thank you as well. So thank you, Pete. Um, all right. Um, my goodness gracious, uh, I, I've got six or seven stories. I normally can only get through one or two with you, um, but I want to do our best here, Pete. And we'll start, of course, with the uh, you know the the ongoing coup uh, against the president of the United States. Hugh, Hugh likes to call it a soft coup. Um, I don't even know if it's soft. I think they're pretty much banging on the palace doors right now and ready to just grab him and drag him through the streets. Um, but it is a coup d'etat, and uh, the White House is fighting back every way that they can. And the latest maneuver is this one. Uh, today they were supposed to depose were the uh, 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 Intelligence Committee Democrats. They were supposed to depose Gordon Sondland uh, uh, this morning at around 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And literally at the 11th hour, or sometime around 8 o'clock, the White House announced he will not be testifying. Uh, the State Department, uh, stay, I, I'm assuming it came directly from Mike Pompeo, but the State Department would not let him testify. The Democrats are fuming, accusing the Republicans and the president of obstruction of justice. What's your read on where this whole thing is now, Peter? Uh, My read is, well, there's so much to say about this. First of all, the entire procedure is egregiously flawed. Nancy Pelosi is not conducting this pursuant to what precedent has established in the past. Now, admittedly, if you take a look at the impeachment clause in the Constitution, uh, as is most of the Constitution, it doesn't give you any detailed procedure to follow. The Constitution isn't like that. But nonetheless, for something this profound, you're talking about the removal of the President of the United States, who was duly elected by the American people. That's an extraordinary effort, an extraordinary maneuver. It can't be done simply by one person, meaning Nancy Pelosi, who is not following any of the um, solemn precedent that had occurred in the previous impeachments. But it says the House shall impeach. The House, presuming a majority vote of all members of the House not simply the dictates of Pelosi as executed by Adam Schiff. So I think, I'm not sure that this is the approach that the White House has taken, but I'm think, I think that the White House is saying, look, until you guys follow the procedure that is the accepted procedure, past practice procedure of impeachments, something this important shouldn't be done simply on a whim of one or two members of the House of Representatives, even if it's a speaker, even if it's chairman. And until you guys do that, well, you know, we're not cooperating. We have no obligation to cooperate. Maybe they're setting up some type of um, uh, lawsuit. I don't think so. I think what they're saying is, look, uh, we have certain rights as members of the executive branch, and you're not going to corrupt those rights in pursuit of a partisan agenda. And the, the, the whole thing is ridiculous because, Bob, I know you've said this in the past, and uh, I believe this. The fact of the matter is, we are chasing our tails in the media, again, after having just beclowned itself in galactic fashion with the Mueller report, are going after this again. The transcript was released. The transcript was released. I don't care if they have 50,000 other witnesses. I can read just as well as the next guy. This is a complete clown show, and we're being subjected to this once again after the implosion of the Mueller report. So many implosions, so many things out there that were going to get Trump. They all have collapsed and burned, crashed and burned. 
And now they're putting us through this again. Now, it's bad enough that partisans such as Pelosi and Schiff and others are pursuing this. I think what bothers me and perhaps some of your audience members more is that we have, without any even nod to pretense, a media that is flat-out lying. It's no longer bias, it's full-fledged corruption. And they're having to feed people who apparently need some type of psychic support on the part of media and others because they can't face any morning with Trump as president. And so they need to be fed even lies, just something to hang on to, like a drowning man and a, a life jacket. Peter, let me ask you this. Um, we've talked about this somewhat in in the past um, about why, what their motivation here is, um, and we know their motivation from way back prior to his election, which was, you know, hey, you know, he's not going to get elected, is he? Oh no, don't worry about it. We have a sure an insurance plan in place in case he does. Uh, but but specifically now they're worried about him getting second term. Do you think that this is solely because they don't believe Joe Biden can beat him, that Elizabeth Warren can beat him, that the American people will choose him for a second time, considering all of the people that they have potentially to nominate? And then uh, as an add-on to that, Hillary is becoming much more visible and much more vocal. And her latest uh, her latest uh, claim is that he is an illegitimate president. He never won legitimately uh, because Russia did assist him, because they hacked her uh, account, because they hacked uh, the DNC, etc. And some think that she is kind of starting to put it out there that maybe she may add uh, herself to this list of candidates um, very, very soon here, maybe before the winter. This is um, the second iteration on the famous insurance policy that Struck and Page talked about. They are very concerned that they can't beat Donald Trump. And, I mean, look, there's a lot of motivations behind this, but the political motivation is to make sure that they have a Democrat in the White House in 2020. So given what we've seen with Mueller and every other breathless allegation that they've made This is the second attempt to try to remove the president from office. I do think they're going to try some form of impeachment. I think their rabid base requires it. But um, uh, now I can't even remember who it was, but all of your audience members have seen him a number of times on uh, TV, the Texas congressman who flat out admitted that, you know, we've got to impeach Trump, otherwise he's going to win. And I think that's the case. And I think actually this is going to blow up in their faces. I do believe that because, I, I mean, I formally believe there's is it, nothing. Is it Al Green? Yeah, that's about? right. It's Al Green. Yeah. I keep thinking yeah. of the singer all the time. But um, <laughs> in any event, um, a much more accomplished person in my estimation. But in any event, um, I do think that the president is going to prevail. I mean, look, between now and the election is a gazillion years. But if this dynamic continues to play out and the economy remains sound, Trump will win. And I think this actually helps Trump because no one believes the media anymore. They used to have the media as their cheerleaders that could sway a few percentage points. You know, there was a, there was a study that was done uh, by some academics, left-leaning academics, uh, a few years ago that showed that the media bias actually is worth five, a full five points in favor of Democrats. That's astonishing when you think about it. Uh, it, I think, is going to be diminishing because now the mask is off, completely off. I mean, we're all 
kind of suspected it before, but they have decided that they're casting their lot completely, unequivocally, unabashedly with the left, with the Democrats on this. So I don't think that there are credible arbiters and people aren't going to believe this, especially after the crash and burn of the Mueller report, where for two years the media was telling us Trump is going to be gone, Trump is going to be gone. Then it turns out, well, there's nothing there. And now they're starting it all over again. And we've had serial uh, fits and starts with respect to other issues, too, with respect to Kavanaugh and Covington and Smollett. I mean, it's just astonishing at the, the ineptitude of the media and the corruption of the media. So I don't think right. they're going to have that benefit anymore. Um, it's uh, with respect to Hillary. Yeah, I know there's been some commentary about Hillary coming into the race, and she's had greater visibility of late. Yeah, I think that clearly Biden is not going. There's no way Biden is going to be the nominee. None. Um and Warren has got some issues. Now, she's the putative front runner right now, but almost every day more lies come out. I mean, lies about her biography that right now in a Democratic primary may not harm her, especially with respect to the competition that she's facing, which is, you know, let's face it, they're jokes. You've got Spartacus. You've got, I mean, it, it, there is no true uh, competition, and they're all saying the same ridiculous things with respect to reparations and, and a Green New Deal and open borders and wealth for for illegal immigrants, uh, they may be able to say that in an auditorium of two to three thousand of their most rabid followers uh, during a debate. But the broader public is, uh, you know, they're looking at this saying these people are nuts. And in a general election, someone like Trump is going to be able to exploit it. And what he will exploit extremely well, as we've seen, um, you know, we thought it was. You know, some thought it may have been crude years ago. Now we see how effective it is, and it cuts right to the chases where he calls, you know, somebody like a Warren Pocahontas. But now she's got other lies that she's been telling with respect to, you know, the fact that in one of her jobs she was uh, not hired or was fired because she was pregnant. And, you know, we, we now see that that was false. And almost anything that comes out of her mouth at this point when you're talking about biographical items that are that big that she's lying about, right. uh, how can you believe anything? That she right. has to say. So yeah, she, she um, has almost disqualified herself as just being a non-credible person, and at least you know, with the exception of partisans, you know, true blind partisans, anybody who's a reasonable person would look at her and say she is just making it up as she goes along. Literally every part about herself. How can we trust what she says she would do as she governs? Um, Pete, let me jump there because I want to get to our timeout, and I want to come back and I want to talk about an extraordinarily important case that's being heard today. Oral arguments are going on, I think, maybe right now uh, at the Supreme Court about the definition of. Sex and I know you're all about this and uh, the Supreme Court, so we'll talk to you about that as we continue on AM 1420 Dance. All right, 1024 now. I want to get right back to uh, our friend Peter Kersenow. Uh Pete, uh, you are well aware, and we discuss oftentimes Alliance Defending Freedom cases. Um, and this particular case that's before the Supreme Court today is as big as any of them. There's an, been an attempt by a lower court to redefine the meaning of the word sex, which we have all, of course, come to know uh, as the differentiation between males and females, anatomically, chromosomally, etc. Uh, it's very simple. It's very scientific. It's very easy to, to follow. But, of course, um, recent years of embracing psychological delusions have uh, have changed that somewhat. And now a court actually did this in order to allow the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission, to sue 
a funeral home for not hiring a man who wanted to dress as a woman because he felt like a woman uh, while dealing with grieving families and trying to uh, you know provide services to um, uh, to families who have lost loved ones. So bottom line is they they said um, he's being discriminated against based upon sex, even though his sex is male. They're trying to include gender identity now. How dangerous is this if the Supreme Court decides the wrong way, Peter? I think it's uh, very troubling. There's no doubt about it. Uh, And it goes beyond, Bob, uh, the definition of male and female. This really goes to whether or not we're going to embrace reality. Um, For all intents, look, with all due respect to all individuals, and I think we want to treat all human beings with dignity and respect, there are certain issues that remain, frankly, verifiable, whether a man is... Uh, a male or female is something that is scientifically ascertainable, and I think it's important for the culture. And for this reason, as I say to a number of people, by the way, full disclosure, my colleague and I had an amicus brief in the Gloucester County case, which was um, one of the premier transgender cases. We've had a number of hearings before the Civil Rights Commission on this matter. I've studied it. I've, I've taught it. Um, I don't profess to be in the league of our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. They are the, uh, they're, they're the gold standard. They're really tremendous at this stuff. But what I say to many people is um, it's a profound issue. It's a big issue, but it's an overarching, a bigger overarching issue from this standpoint. Because if we start to accept things that scientifically are verifiably untrue, then we'll accept all manner of things. And this is something that and I don't want to make you know, too much of a big deal about it. I don't want to you know, expand it to absurd terms. But um, when someone can tell you to accept one false proposition or f- proposition that, that is you know, uh, not sustainable, they can ac- get you to ac- accept almost any such proposition. This was the approach of many coercive states. They would break down your mental or psychological barrier. You knew that what they were asking you to accept or say was not true, but you had been cowed into believing it or saying it, not believing it, but saying it, and then that just completely erodes your resistance to other things that they require you to accept. Um, So from an overarching standpoint, this is very dangerous. Now, from the discrete standpoint of whether or not you know, a boy should be allowed to use a girl's bathroom, a biological male should be able to use a a girl's bathroom. Let's go back to the law very briefly. I think the culture is more important than the law, but the law follows culture. Sometimes the law can get ahead of culture. Uh, And I think here we have a danger of getting ahead of culture. With respect to the law, Title IX came out in 1972, was was, uh, enacted in 1972. Um, That deals with sex in education, and it was designed mainly to help uh, or protect the rights of women. Um, Title VII was enacted in 1964. That's the law that prohibits discrimination in employment. And you put those two together, and it pretty much governs everything related to the transgender issue. Um, There are so many things that would be completely upended if the Supreme Court were to decide that Uh, Sex discrimination includes transgenderism. Uh, When those statutes were drafted by Congress in 1972 and 1964, respectively, there's no doubt what sex discrimination made. No one was contemplating transgenders. So 
the intent of Congress was clear and the language is plain. This is on the basis of sex, not sexual orientation or sexual preference um, or, um, you know, some type of mutable sexual characteristic. This was based on sex. So you could not discriminate on the basis of sex, either in the provision of educational benefits or in employment. So I think at the end of the day, the Supreme Court is going to decide it in that fashion, and it's up to the legislature. If Congress wants to decide that discrimination on the basis of transgender status should be unlawful, it's up to Congress to do that. And there have been efforts in Congress, pretty pronounced efforts in Congress, to amend Title IX, Title VII to explicitly include transgender status. But if they do that from a public policy standpoint, there are going to be significant repercussions, as we saw. The, the, the most discreet one, Bob, is one that you know, I know a number of your audience members have probably seen. It's easily understandable where we see female track records being obliterated, not just track records, but, you know, wrestling and yeah. weightlifting and all kinds of things. And it, it, without question, there will be women's sports will go by the wayside. Transgender women will dominate all the sports, and these will be mediocre male athletes who will do it. This is nothing against women. You're listing a whole litany of potential problems with this, and they really all do pivot on what the Supreme Court decides with the arguments they're hearing today. If they allow uh, sex to be redefined as not just male and female, but how you feel and what your mindset is uh, with, uh, you know, with respect to... Um, uh, you know, gender identity, uh, all of these things are gone. Uh, the privacy in the facilities that you're talking about, uh, not just restrooms, which are, to me, I think the least of the problem. Mostly, most of them, there are stalls, but, but shower rooms and, and, right. uh, and locker rooms, uh, where you are in a state of undress in front of other people. It, it, you know, between that and the sports and the employment and the students and all the other things that go on, business practices, um, it, 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 so much of this hinges on this particular case. Hugh Hewitt says this should be nine to nothing. It should be a slam dunk. You cannot do this. Yeah, it should. It should be. I don't expect that, unfortunately. I think think it's not going to be nine to nothing, but I think it's going to clearly. uh, They will decide in favor of the of what Title IX says. Exactly. I think uh, you know uh, the or or Title VII is going to say with respect to um, the funeral home case, but um, I think that the ADF is going to prevail. Uh, And by the way, consider this: the Me Too movement is going to have their heads spinning because. If we are, they're going to be consistent, they cannot reconcile the fact that if an adult female is subjected to a naked male, that is harassment. But if your daughter goes into a bathroom and is subjected to a naked male, well, that's okay. And if she complains, then she is discriminating against someone. That is, that's that's exactly the right. essence of it. Pete, i got to get to our news. We'll do that now and we'll come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, that little uh, jab would be funnier if it weren't really, really a different kind of conversation that needs to be had about Baker Mayfield now. <laughs> about whether or not it was right to draft him, but um, he's, is he the right guy after all? Uh, things did not go well last night for Baker. Have not gone well much this season, uh, right? Uh, I should say for much of the season for Baker Mayfield, but uh, that's another story for another time. But yes, the War for America Soul Tour is coming up on November 21st at the Holiday and Rockside in Independence. We would love for you to be there. There are select tickets remaining, very few rather, 
VIP tickets remaining, as well as general admission tickets remaining. Get them now at whkradio.com to see Hugh, as well as Dr. Sebastian Gorka, as well as the brilliant Peter Kersenow and myself. I'll just be there to, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll probably work the door. Uh, but anyway, uh, these guys are all going to be up on stage, and uh, it, it really is a war for America's soul. Very much looking forward to that on November 21st. Get your tickets now, whkradio.com. All right. Peter Kersenow, um, so many things I told you we wanted to get into here. And um, with respect to uh, the last part of our conversation, uh, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but we had to get to that break. Um, the, most of, if not all of the issues that you raised with, uh, you know, dealing with um, transgenderism are going to be answered if uh, if the Supreme Court, or not answered, I should say, it's going to be a very j- dangerous proposition if the Supreme Court goes in the wrong way on this one. You said it won't be 9-0, uh, the way Hugh kind of predicted it should be. Uh, you do think, though, that they will make the right call here? I do. You know, um, I am skeptical that you're going to see anything with respect to 9-0. I do think that someone like a Sotomayor, um, possibly even um, Ginsburg, would probably, might side with um, the transgender individual, but the clear reading of the statute, I think that there, there's really not a whole lot of wiggle room there whatsoever. Like The fact of the matter is that, and we had a hearing, we've had a couple of hearings at the Civil Rights Commission with respect to transgender issues, and we've had a number of transgender individuals testify, and you know, I, look, as I said before, we want to treat as uh, Americans, as people of faith, we want to treat people with human dignity. Uh, but we also want to be rational, and we have laws that are pretty clear-cut, and we have a culture in place, and there's a whole lot of reasons why a society has decided to organize itself in a way that we have. Um, you can say that you are female, but there are, you know, and we had people testifying before the Civil Rights Commission who maintained that they were female when they were clearly biologically male. Uh, but there are 37 trillion cells in your body that disagree with you. Uh, even if you, you know, wear female clothing, uh, you've got, you know, uh, X and Y chromosomes uh, that t- t- truly control who you are. So to try to impose your belief in what you are, and, and it is contrary to reality. Uh, I hate to say that if it offends anybody, but it's contrary to reality. And it it upsets societal norms, and it it really does have profound impacts on a whole manner of things. You know, you mentioned employment and education, so on and so forth. Well, we at least need to build a consensus in society before we accept such things and and then decide through our elected representatives that we're going to change the law. But right now they're trying to force the law to have a meaning that it doesn't have, force plain words to have meanings that they don't have. Uh, very, very well said, Pete. Uh, Pete, I want to pull an audible here on our last subject of the morning uh, because of a piece that I just became aware of, actually, before the show uh, that you wrote for National Review. Uh, and we're talking, we'll go back to politics now. And you mentioned there's no way Joe Biden is going to win. We talked about Hillary's chances of, of entering this race and the others. Um, all of them have a black voter problem. Uh, one one might suggest, and you wrote about this. And and again, I haven't had a chance to read it all. I just became aware of it. Talk to me about the concerns of black voters and whether or not Democrats can be successful in continuing to fleece such a huge number of them into thinking that they are the, they have the solutions for the problems. Bob, what I did is I got curious because I think that one of the best journalists in America, is Selena Zito, 
because she was the only one who was waving her arms before the 2016 presidential election to say that she had noticed a dynamic that even though everyone was predicting a Hillary landslide up until nine o'clock on election night, uh, she saw certain things that were occurring in Rust Belt uh, areas that traditional Democratic blue collar workers were supporting Trump in large numbers. And in fact, that was decisive because the blue wall states where many of these voters resided flipped over to Trump because right. the Democratic Party, as Ronald Reagan had famously said a long time ago, um, you know, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Well, the Democratic Party also left these blue collar workers. What I saw in polling data that, you know, I was just casually, you know, I don't have much of a life, but I'm just looking at some <laughs> polling data, and I saw the same dynamic even more profoundly playing out among black voters, which are the most reliable voters, the greatest constituency for the Democratic Party. When you look at the disparity between what these Democratic candidates are saying, I mean, the lunatic things they're saying, and what the interests of black voters are, black voters actually stunningly enough, as a group, are the most conservative when it comes to public policy issues of all Democratic voters. And the disparity in 2016 was maybe in any given issue might be a five to six point differential between white Democrats and black Democrats as to what they thought was important. Jobs, uh, you know, securing the border, Medicare for all, all these kinds of things. Uh, there's a, only a smaller, small differential, but there was a differential. That differential has expanded dramatically in the last couple of years, so that on almost every significant policy issue, black voters are 20 to 30 full points uh, uh, opposite what their white brethren in the Democratic Party are in terms of attaching importance to any discrete policy issues such as securing the borders, Medicare for all, Green New Deal, all these things. In fact, black voters, if you take a look at the polling data, even though black voters have traditionally been, you know, Democrats, their policy alignment is far closer to Republicans than Democrats. So I don't think that the shift that was apparent among blue-collar workers in the 2016 election is going to be as profound among black um, voters in 2020. That's not what I'm saying. For the last 60 years, uh, blacks have uh, faithfully been Democratic voters. It's been kind of a electoral inertia there, not because Democrats have done anything to improve the lot of blacks. In fact, if you take a look at Democrat-controlled cities, blacks are suffering egregiously. But nonetheless, there's this disconnect that we've never seen before, and I do think that it's enough, because if you take a look at just a few swing states, Nevada, New Mexico, Minnesota, uh, those states were won by Hillary Clinton by only a few thousand votes. People forget that. So the electoral map is much more favorable to Trump in 2020 if the economy remains relatively decent. And you've, the, the Democratic candidate must not only get 90% plus of the black vote, there has to be a significant turnout among black voters for the Democratic presidential candidate to prevail. And just to give you one data point, mm -hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton only had a couple of percentage points fewer black votes than Barack Obama did in 2012. But, I mean, she had 89 to 90% of the black vote, but she got 4 million fewer total black votes because the turnout wasn't there for Hillary Clinton. 
if the turnout wasn't there for Hillary Clinton, who was, by the way, she was married to the first black president, if you recall. But if it wasn't there for her, it is less likely to be there with the policy positions of, say, an Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or any of these other folks who are saying things that if you go into black, any black neighborhood, they're not talking Medicare for all. They're not talking open borders. They're, not, they're definitely not talking Green New Deal and some of these other crazy things. <laughs> open borders profoundly hurts the economic interests of blacks. That's without question, and I've got the data on that. You've heard me talking about it on Tucker's show a million times. Yes, you have. But, um, but the, the, this is a wedge, and Donald Trump, the media doesn't cover it for reasons that I'm sure your audience can discern, but Donald Trump has reached out to the black vote more aggressively than any president in our lifetimes. It's not being covered, but he's doing just extraordinary amount of work to secure the black vote, and Democrats are oblivious to it. I don't want to let the, the cat out of the bag. It's not being covered, so the Democrats are kind of, you know, blithely going around their, their merry uh, way, simply saying that, or thinking that if they continue to show racism and white supremacy, that'll be enough to secure the black vote. They don't have to come up with policy positions that actually help black voters. Uh, I think this is something to be watched, and um, I'm hopeful that, you know, if, there, if the economy remains relatively decent, if there's no big war that goes on, uh, I think Trump prevails, and this will be one of the reasons why. A really fantastic piece, uh, uh, Pete, and I really like your, your description of it as well. I'm going to tweet it out here. In fact, I'm in the process of doing that so everybody else can read it as well. Very important information, uh, and, and all black voters should pay attention. I, it, it should be pointed out, too, not only is President Trump reaching out and more than any Republican president ever has to black America and black voters, there are black uh, leaders uh, more, I think, really than I can recall in, in, in my lifetime that are doing the same thing. And I'm not just talking about Candace Owens, but I'm talking about a whole host of of prominent black celebrities or or you know maybe maybe online celebrities maybe not the light types of hollywood types that we we come to know as celebrities but online people with really really high profiles and huge twitter followings black americans all participating in this blexit all participating in this walk away program all trying to 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 convince and and uh educate you know th- their own uh, uh people of their own race that the Democrats have been lying to them. They have not been serving their needs. All of the reasons you just laid out are great examples of it, and that's why I want to post this, and I'll share it with some other uh, black conservatives that I know and really kind of spread the movement. It's not just the president reaching out uh, in an unprecedented fashion, Pete. It's black people, more than I think I, I, that I maybe thought I would ever see, to be quite honest with you, who are really, really starting to spread this message. Uh, Bob, I know you've got to go to break. I just want to say one other thing about this. They're always talking about Trump being a racist and a bigot and everything else like that with with no evidence to support it. They've lied about what happened in Charlottesville. Everybody knows precisely what the president said, but nonetheless, the media carries the water for them. But I want to give your, your listeners one other data point here or one other anecdote. The first time I ever met with President Trump when he was inter- interviewing me to be Secretary of Labor, he, the, the most Pressing issue on his mind. This was when he was still president-elect. It was in November of 2016, only a couple of weeks after the election. And he asked me and was just driven about how the lot of black folks in the inner cities can be improved economically. How can we do that from an economic policy perspective, a labor policy perspective? This is something that he believes in. 
And, you know, he was, he was saying this without any media present, without any kind of benefit to himself whatsoever. This was something that was a core issue for him. And yet the media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, continually to give this false narrative of Trump without any evidence whatsoever of being some kind of a racist. Uh, you know, many people constantly talk about the low unemployment rate among uh, black, uh, the, the black uh, voters or electorate. Right. Um, th- the fact of the matter is that if Trump is a racist, he is, as many people say, the worst racist ever, because blacks have never fared better economically under any president than they are faring under this president. Peter Kersena, great uh, stuff as always, Pete. I will tweet out your column for uh, National Review. I appreciate you uh, adjusting to the audible there. I did want to get some commentary on this in, uh, but there are, of course, a lot of other things going on. I'll look forward to our next conversation. Thanks, Bob. Talk to you later. Thank you, Pete. Peter Kersena joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, coming up, it's uh, 1049. we got time for a couple more phone calls. We're also going to talk to you about a very new, important organization. It's not a new organization. It's new to these airwaves that I want you to be aware of. And it's an organization that deserves our attention, and moreover, it deserves our help. That story coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. I wish that I could fly. All right, it's 1055, final segment of the morning. I want to share something with you that um, is uh, very important to us. This is something we're actually going to be doing throughout the rest of the month of October. I want to make you aware of Heartbeat International and Option Line. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. That's what I'm here for, is to tell you a little bit more about it. I didn't know. Look, we are pro-life on this program. We are pro-life at this radio station. We are pro-life as a company, as Salem Media. Uh, we, we absolutely with pride puff out our chests and tell you that we are going to do everything we can to support pro-life causes and to oppose, uh, those that, um, that do not. And that's what Heartbeat International is all about. It is about saving lives. Heartbeat International is the first network of pro-life pregnancy resource centers in the United States. And it is the largest in the world. They provide 24-7 nationwide contact center availability every day in English and in Spanish. So that a person, a woman, or even maybe the father of an unplanned pregnancy, the father of a child in an unplanned pregnancy situation, uh, can call one of the, uh, call the uh, option line and be referred directly to a local pregnancy center that can help them find the right solution for them without taking the life of their baby. I'm going to give you an example of what we're talking about here. The phone rang at Option Line, a 24-7 uh, pregnancy lifeline that I'm telling you about. One morning early this past fall, a young woman named Lindsay was on the other end of the line. Later that morning, Lindsay was scheduled to undergo an abortion, but she was having second thoughts. As the Option Line consultant listened to her story, her reservations, her fears, and her doubts, God gave her the opportunity to encourage Lindsay to slow down and carefully consider her options. Even though Lindsay and her boyfriend felt like abortion was their only option, it wasn't. Perhaps that God-given maternal instinct gave Lindsay those second thoughts and made her call that number. The abortion business where Lindsay had scheduled her appointment only keeps its doors open by preying on the desperation of women, like Lindsay, that they feel in a, in a crisis pregnancy. What Lindsay and every woman needs is a place that doesn't profit. They don't stand a profit either way on her pregnancy decision. And that's what Lindsay uh, found through Option Line. And it's what she found at the Neighborhood Pregnancy Center where Option Line referred her after that initial conversation. The moment she found out she was pregnant, Lindsay began a journey that leads in either of two directions, parenting 
or abortion. She should never have to walk that road alone, and because of option lines, she never has to. That is one of countless numbers of stories of women whose lives uh, have been turned around and whose children's lives have been saved by option line and Heartbeat International. Now, with all the talk about all these outrageous pro-abortion laws, we are partnering with Heartbeat International and Option Line to help answer the call and save babies' lives by informing parents about the horrific nature of abortion. Join us this month in giving back to Heartbeat International's Option Line so they can continue their mission to stop abortion. Your donation of $75 allows the call center to take calls for one hour and save babies' lives. But why stop there? If you are able, the more you are willing to donate, the more babies will be saved. $150 allows for two hours a day. $450 will allow calls to be taken from desperate women wanting perhaps for to find a reason to save their babies' lives for four hours a day. A $900 donation, if you are clear and able to do that, will allow half a day. And if you really want to go above and beyond, $1,800 will provide a full day of calls to be answered by Heartbeat International's option line. To make a donation, please go to our website, whkradio.com, and click on the option line banner. It'll say option line at the top. Click on that banner. It's that easy. And remember, your gift will be tax deductible, and your gift, most importantly, will save lives. We're very proud to be a part of this uh, very special organization. I'm going to be telling you about this every day, all month. In fact, we're going to talk about it in person with someone from uh, Option Line and Heartbeat International coming up on next week's uh, program, next Wednesday, a week from tomorrow. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Thanks to our guest, Peter Kersenow, for being a part. Thanks to you for listening. I appreciate that as well. Thanks to our staff and crew. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.